in order to not tell the story so many times, if you wonder about this and this, Norma really didn't do it. But Matt's cat did. I made the mistake of raising my head just at the same time that Matt's cat decided to jump off of the refrigerator. And my face lost. And the cat's rear claws won. So that, that clears that up. Norma, Norma did not take a butcher knife to me. In fact, she said that had she taken a butcher knife to me, it'd look a lot worse than this. We're glad you're here. You know, when you think about the history of our world, Bryant talked a little bit about the Bible and history this morning in our Bible class. So when you think about the history of our world, what comes to your mind? Do you think about the Genesis account and maybe the hand of God and all of creation? Perhaps. I would venture to say, though, this morning that for most folks, when they think of history, they think of history in terms of facts. Dates and specific events that occurred. Perhaps even specific dates and events that had to be memorized at some point way back in time for some test. But the history of our world is far more than just a collection of facts and dates and events. The history of our world is something that can best be told in terms of people. There have been great movements, noted battles, and there's been the development of great institutions. But prominent in all of these facts of history have been people. There was a great military leader of France and a commander of Allied forces in World War I by the name of Marshal Falk. And he was speaking of a well-known event of history, and he said this, It was not an army that crossed the Alps. It was Hannibal. And he was right. It was a great moving force that crossed the Alps, but that great moving force was led by the great leader Hannibal. The most powerful impact upon our world has been the impact that people have had and the lives of people have had. There was a time that everyone believed that the sun revolved around the earth. That was before a scientist by the name of Copernicus came. There was also a time that everybody believed, well, all rational thinking people anyway, believed the world was, earth was flat. You go far enough, you're going to just go boop and fall off. But that was before Columbus and Magellan came along. And there was a time that no real thing like scientific medicine existed. They just attached leeches to you and let you bleed out to bleed the poison from you. But then Louis Pasteur came along. There was no real effective way of treating the sick. But that was before Florence Nightingale appeared on the scene. Once upon a time, everyone either walked 
or rode in a horse-drawn buggy. And along comes Henry Ford with the Model T. It used to be that when darkness came, dusk settled over the entire world. A man named Thomas Edison changed all of that. Most of us in this room can remember what a dreaded disease polio used to be. How we feared it. But Jonas Salk came along with his vaccine and changed that. What I'm saying is that behind almost anything we do or anything we see, there are people, and those people have had an influence that changed or modified our world. And maybe rather than talk in terms of people that none of us have ever met, like Jonas Salk or Thomas Edison or Henry Ford, maybe we ought to put it to the test in our own lives. What's the most powerful force in your own personal experience? My guess this morning is that it would be a mother, a father, a teacher, or perhaps some friend. The most powerful influence on your life, my guess is this morning, is it is in terms of some person. And generally speaking, it's a person that we like to tie to in times of stress and strain. That's why it means so much in times of illness for folks that we love and folks that we have confidence in to come and see us. That's why it's so important when we're bereaved to have someone that loves us send us a card from a distance or to come by and just talk to us or put an arm around our shoulder. When we go to Luke chapter 15 and we read the story of the prodigal son in the Bible, we remember from that story it was the magnetic power of a father's love going across the miles that led that boy to come to himself and come back home. And what that says to us is that it was the coming of a great person that was the most influential, most significant event in all of history. Long before men discovered that, God knew that cold, unembodied facts do not reach out and take hold of men with great power. But God knew something else. God knew that great truths embodied in a person have an impact that can completely change the flow of history. You take the Bible and you go back and take a broad sweep across the Old Testament. You think of great people that lived. There was a Noah that built an ark for the saving of his people. There was a Moses that led Israel out of Egypt. There was a David that was the shepherd boy who became king. All of those, with so many others, were great men. 
and embodying some of God's truth, they had a great impact upon their fellow man. They had a great impact on later generations also. I think that by now, with the season of the year that's upon us, you realize that I'm speaking primarily of the greatest personality of all time. The coming of God in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The incarnation. Literally meaning that God came down and lived among men. It's the person of the divine Son of God. Jesus Christ that has had the greatest impact upon your life and mine, as well as the greatest impact on all of history. All of us in this room are aware that the coming of Jesus was foretold in prophecy. As much as 1,500 years before Jesus came, in the last book of Moses, you find this sentence. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him you shall hearken. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. Moses was saying that God was going to raise up a person. Moses is telling this, us that God's going to raise up a prophet. And he said something else. Did you catch it? To him you shall hearken. You're going to listen to him, Moses said. In the book of Isaiah, there's another very familiar prophecy in chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall bring forth a son. In the New Testament, the inspired writer Matthew refers to that incident that Isaiah prophesies of in Isaiah 7 and verse 14. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph. Joseph and Mary are about to get married. And this angel of the Lord, this messenger from God comes to to reassure Joseph to calm his fears about Mary. And he's told that the child she's carrying is of the Holy Spirit. These words from Isaiah are recorded in Matthew chapter 1. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. There's another beautiful passage. You find it in the opening chapter of the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 1 and verses 32 through 35. It's talking about Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. 
Then said Mary unto the angel, How can this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy things which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. God, in His infinite wisdom, knew something. God knew that in order for His truth to take hold in the lives of folks like you and me, He'd have to demonstrate that in the life of a person. And so these prophecies announce the coming of this divine person. Someone that would have the same physical urges you and I have. The same need for food and clothing and shelter. The same desires you and I have of of every kind. He'd be susceptible to the same kind of temptation. Anytime you doubt that, go read the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. And the truth is, we know that Jesus did come. And in His birth, His life, and His death, Jesus demonstrated something for us. He told us what the Christian religion is. To me, one of the greatest sentences in the Gospel of John is John 3.16, where it tells us God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But there's another great sentence in the Gospel according to John, and it's in the very first chapter. And from the standpoint of what we're talking about this morning, it's probably the most appropriate sentence in the entire Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. That's John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14. Folks, the greatest event that's ever occurred in all the history of the world was the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, coming to live in the flesh among normal, well, I use that word loosely, normal folks like you and me. Jesus, showing us how we ought to think, how we ought to speak, how we ought to live in every detail of our lives. In John 14, before, right before Jesus was going away, He had called the disciples together. He had told them about the mansions He was going to prepare. And He told them that He was the way, the truth, and the life. And no one could go to the Father except by Him. And Philip was the one that said, Show us the Father. And it's all we need. And that's when Jesus said, Have I been with you this long and you still don't know Me? He that hath seen Me has seen the Father. 
That's what Jesus did. Jesus revealed God to us. Something I want to emphasize. And I can't emphasize it too strongly. And that is that every one of us needs a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If our loyalty is to an institution, even if it's the divine institution, the church, it may not have the strength to pull us through the crises of life that we have to endure. In times of real and serious temptation, we've got a much greater chance of weathering the storm if we have a close intimate, personal relationship with our Lord and Savior. Because then we have a vivid picture of our Lord. Our Lord looking at us. Our Lord wanting us to be strong. You see, in times of severe illness, or in times when our world seems to be breaking apart and crumbling before our eyes. If we have an intimate, close, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, folks, that's going to carry us through the storms of life. When God sent a real person, a real human being, God did something that's actually beyond our power to fully appreciate. But you see, Jesus has not come for you unless you've actually completely taken Jesus into your heart and life. You go all around our city, our state, our country this time of year, especially at this time of the year. And you see folks talking about the coming of Jesus. You see people saying, well, Jesus is the reason for the season. And yet you see people saying this, and you see people giving lip service to this, that have never really given Jesus a real place in their heart, in their life. And so, though His name may be on their lips, in a practical way, for those folks... Jesus hasn't come to me. It seems especially tragic at this time of the year. When the world is so focused on the birth of Jesus, when the world is talking about His birth, when people are saying Jesus is the reason for the season, that so many folks in our world, so many folks in our own community, have never really felt the impact of His coming. Over the last 48 years, I've preached a lot of sermons where the gist of those sermons was that Jesus was not born on December 25th. And that's true. By all accounts, December 25th could not have been the actual birthday of our Lord. But that's not the message I want to leave in the hearts of people today. I don't want to leave that message in the hearts of people in 
June or January, March or December. The message I want to leave in people's hearts, whether it's today or next month or six months from now, the message I want to leave in people's hearts is that Jesus came. We may not know the day. We may not know the month. We may not know exactly when it was that He came. But He came. And that's what I want people to understand. And that's the message I want to leave with people. Every one of you know how much I love this time of the year. How much I love this season of the year. I mean, you have to love this season of the year to put up five Christmas trays. I love Christmas time. Like that song says, it's the most wonderful time of the year. We spend time with family. We spend time with friends. We exchange good wishes. And folks just seem to have their hearts more open. And there's so much in this season of the year that's good and wholesome and fine and memorable. And and there are some elements that have commercialized this time of the year. They've sensualized it. They've even debased, in some ways, the sacred story of the coming of Jesus. But here's what I want to sound forth loud and clear. Today, next month, next year, Six months from now. What I want to sound forth loud and clear is, Jesus came. And the coming of Jesus changed our world. And the coming of Jesus changed, the, made, it pos, made it possible to have a change in the destiny of my soul and yours. There's a song in our books we sing every now and then. Into my heart. Into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. We must let Jesus Christ into our hearts. We must let Jesus change our way of living. We've got to let Him change our way of thinking. We've got to let Him change our eternal destiny and save our souls. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in to stay. It's His invitation as we stand in the Bible.